welcome to the Battle and the Bride. Well, if you would all please turn with me, I will be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 3, and the verses we'll be focusing on today are 13 through 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. I will be reading out of the New King James Version. I also highly affirm the ESV, but NESB, I like them all. Those are some weighty Bibles. I hope you guys use them. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you praising you and thanking you for your word. You are almighty and you are holy. And you have handed down your word throughout the generations faithfully so that we might also enjoy the benefits of knowing you. This is how you have revealed yourself to men throughout the ages, breathing by your Holy Spirit onto the writers. And so as we read these inspired words, these true, inerrant, and infallible words, we pray, Father God, that you would minister to us by that same Holy Spirit and that you would lead us into all truth. Lord, I pray for these people that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of the word of God. And that we may be able to apply it to our lives and be changed from the heart outwards to be made more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we, you would do all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, as I prepared to address you all, I asked Lee if there was anything in particular that he wanted me to, to cover, and he just said that you were honoring your graduates today. So have a message for the graduates. So I, I prayed as I prepared for this message. I prayed, Lord, what would you have me uh, what would you have me preach on? And this passage came to mind in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, many messages have been preached on this particular passage, and they, the point of that, those messages are to focus on, on the defense aspect. In, in verse 15, be ready to give a defense to everyone, because the word there is apologia. That's where you get your word apologetic. So, you know, graduates, you're going to graduate. You're going to go out into the world. Make sure you've got your apologetic belt on. That's basically what it is. And that's not what I'm intending to focus on today. I'm, I'm not here to try and get you to, to compel you or to guilt you into being ready to give a defense of your faith. But instead, I'm going to look at this in a different way. 
In my experience, when young men and women graduate, they are told that this is the beginning of their independence. That's how I felt. This is the beginning of your adulthood and subsequently your adult lives. You are thinking less and less of how you are to defend the Christian faith. You're thinking more and more about what your future looks like apart from that. You may be thinking, uh, you know, what is my job going to look like? You know, where am I going to end up living? Man, I can't wait to get out of this grubby town. Like that, that's, that's how I used to think. <laughs> I used to think, man, I can't wait to go to another town with some other girls that like, have no idea who I was in high school. <laughs> that's that's how, how I, I thought. And, uh, and, you know, newsflash, wherever you go, that's where you're at. So... <laughs> You from high school is still going wherever you're going to go. Now, as you're considering these things in the future, they're big questions. And they're easy to get carried away with the imagination that, that, uh, that you want to you know, think about. Oh, you know, I can't wait to find that, that ever-longed-for spouse. Or I can't wait to nail that dream job. I'm getting into this, this great college and I have great plans for myself and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with all of that unless, unless you are considering all of these things with the idea that your faith is unimportant. With the idea that this is something you're going to throw off once you get out of the house. Or maybe you're not even considering abandoning it altogether. Maybe you're not in all outright rebellion but maybe you're just aware of your own weaknesses. You feel wholly unprepared to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ or in defense of your faith. You feel unprepared to, con to explain to people why you put your trust in the meritorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross rather than on yourself. But if someone were to come up to you and, and ask you, you, you you kind of get a little sweaty about that. You get anxious. That could be you. Or you may also be thinking, man, what if I have to make a decision or say something or not do something that everyone else is doing that is going to cause others to revile me and hate me? I don't want to be in that situation. I want to be liked. It's a big push in today's culture is to be liked. Well, this message is for all of you. It is a message not just for graduates, but for the entire church. It strikes not at a man's will to simply weather a storm of suffering or persecution. Rather, it calls to the man's heart. For as our Lord Jesus says... A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So this message is to all of us who call ourselves Christians, but who struggle with proclaiming those excellencies of the kingdom of God, the truth of the gospel. And so as we look at First Peter, as we come to this passage, we need to know a few things. We have to know that this passage is entire. This, this book 
is written entirely about suffering. Christians, the elect, as Peter addresses them, are enduring persecutions at the hands of the Jews, the hands of the Romans, all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter knows this, and he knows that prolonged exposure to these these sorts of conditions, to persecution of this nature, can cause a person to despair or to even fall away from the faith. He also knows that the devil can cause these can use these circumstances to cause us to doubt the truth about God. He also finds ways to use these situations to insert anxiety into a person's mind that they are somehow cursed by God rather than blessed. That their suffering has come about because God is just done with them. So Peter knows this and he is using this opportunity to exhort and encourage these people who have suffered much. They have seen their friends killed. They have seen loved ones killed. They have seen loved ones abandon the faith and turn loved ones in. They have seen people hunted down and killed. So he is ministering to these people so that they can hold fast to their hope in Jesus Christ at all times and in every way. And so the main idea of this passage is that the Christian can endure persecution and fiery trial with blessing, joy, and confidence because Jesus Christ is our Lord and our living hope. The Christian can endure persecution and fiery trials with blessing, joy, and confidence because Jesus Christ is our Lord and our living hope. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, Peter teaches us that Christians who are experiencing persecution, slander, or hatred on account of their faith can find comfort in the truth that their sufferings are not just on account of Christ, but shared with him. And because of that hope, they can be prepared to meet those trials with courage, confidence, and great joy, glorifying God not just with their lips, but with their whole being. So we're going to see this in several ways, and we will see if I can get through this entire outline. If not, I'll hit the meaty stuff for you. But we're going to see in verses 13 through 14, blessed suffering. Blessed suffering. And then second, we're going to look at three commands that Peter gives us in verses 14 through 16. And then finally, we're going to look at our hope, our Lord, and our example in verses 17 through 18. So that brings us to 13 and 14, blessed suffering. Peter opens with this rhetorical question. He says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? The entire passage leading up to this, Peter has finished exhorting these Christians to live in submission to one another, to honor one another, and in doing so, they would be mirroring the teachings of Christ, the person of Christ. But he comes to this, the, the point in uh, verse 10, where he's talking about suffering. 
See, when, we, when we're thinking about preaching, we think of uh, someone giving a message then giving an application. Like giving a message and giving an illustration. What, what Peter does is instead he gives the practical application and then he tells you, here is the example of Jesus Christ. This is why you're doing it. He does that all throughout this epistle. And so after this mutual submission, he comes to this aspect of this is, this is what you're going to experience because Jesus Christ experienced suffering in the same way. And he comes to verse 10. He says, for he who would love life and seek good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what he does here is he quotes Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is a psalm that David wrote whenever he was in the, the court of Abimelech. Now, if you know who Abimelech is, if you are aware of this story, Abimelech was the enemy, the king enemy to the nation of Israel. David was being hunted down by Saul, who was full of jealousy and of rage and wanted to murder David and kill him because he, he thought that David was going to usurp his throne. So David was being hunted down by his king, his father-in-law, the father of his best friend. And so he took his men who were faithful to him and he fled to his enemy. And in the court of his enemy, he feigned madness. He, had, you know, he let spit dribble down his, his beard so that, so that this king would think that he was mad and, and not think worth killing. So the king allowed him to stay within his court. Now David penned Psalm 34 in this, in this situation, in these circumstances. How do you think that begins? Now if we read modern day mini blogs like Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you come to encounter with, with out of the ordinary circumstances that are less than what you would hope to, to, to encounter. And your immediate way, uh, response is to complain, isn't it? Like, oh, what a day. Or you, you know, make a real POV, you know, me on a bad day, and you know, some sort of kitten falling off of a, a ledge. <laughs> David starts off his psalm by saying this, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? This is what Peter's quoting. And loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. 
The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So by Peter quoting this psalm, he is pointing these people back to the truth found in the Old Testament. David testifying not just about the goodness of of the Lord, but he is also in this psalm prophesying about the righteousness of the Christ who is to come. As you can see at the very the, the very last stanza, he says, he guards all of his bones, not one of them is broken. This is quoted in the New Testament when Jesus dies on the cross and they don't have to break his legs because he's already dead. It's part of fulfilling prophecy. He's pointing them back to Christ. He's pointing them back to the foundation of the Psalms, to the truth that the devil wants to steal from you. The flesh wants to, to cause you to, to look after the, the things of this world. When you get in trouble, when you're suffering, when you're in, engaging with people who hate you, when you are afraid, when you're in those circumstances, look to the Lord, he is saying. Now, this psalm is entirely appropriate because it, it reminds us of the goodness of God. But he's also saying this because it's an obvious point. The supreme authority in this universe, God, his eyes are on Christians. His ears are open to your prayers. His face shines upon them. They are blessed. I'm not talking about people who just walk around with the word blessed on their shirt. There are a lot of people who say, oh, I'm blessed, and they're going to hell. I'm talking about people who have submitted their lives to Christ. They are not blessed purely because they do things that look good or things that we consider good. Mormons do many good things. Things that we would consider to be admirable. But they are in constant damnation day after day, in constant threat of damnation day after day, because they reject the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. They reject the Holy Trinity. They have followed after the teachings of false prophets. And they had believed a false gospel that was not preached. So then the question is, okay, what does he mean when he says good? What does he mean when he says righteous? Who is good? Who is righteous? Ultimately, it is God alone who is good. He is the fountainhead of all goodness and justice and virtue, as Calvin writes in his Institutes. It is Christ alone among men, Christ alone among men, who is righteous. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, 
My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So is Peter writing to heathens or pagans? No, he's not. He is writing to Christians. He's writing to the elect. They have already renounced their own filthy rags of righteousness. Their own filthy rags of their own works. They've renounced the idea that anything that they have done or not done would give them any merit to stand before the living, holy God and not be vaporized. Their hope isn't in their works. Their hope is in Jesus Christ. Children, your hope should not be in your works, not just going to church not just not doing this thing or that thing. Now, it is good for you to abstain from sin. But that in of itself is not good enough because we have what is called original sin. We are by nature dead in our sins and transgressions. We are sinners. And as sinners, we are subject to the, the just result of that sin, and that is death which is damnation in hell eternally. But because of Christ, because of his righteousness, because God took on flesh so that he could stand in the presence of God on our behalf, the sinless one, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's righteousness is what we trust in, not in our own goodness, not in our own works. So when he is talking about people doing good, turning from evil, he is talking about Christians who already understand this aspect, but who would be tempted to do something evil. So he is saying, turn away from evil and now do these good works that the Father has set before you to do. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin and do these good things. Even if you are suffering, even if you are being reviled, even if you are hated, do these things. And even if that means that people are trying to kill you or your loved ones, it doesn't mean that you are cursed. It means that you are blessed. Now, he's writing to people in the dispersion. Historically, for Jews, when you think about dispersion, you are thinking about the Lord bringing judgment upon you for sin. And he is reiterating to them, that is not the case. This is not the case. You are blessed. You are in dispersion because it's part of the Lord's will to go out and preach the gospel to all nations so that the gospel would fill the whole earth so that he can call all men to himself. That is why these people are, are apart from Jerusalem. They are not in a covenant curse. They are in Christ and they are now enjoying covenant blessing. And he comes to verse 14 and 16. He gives us three commands as a result of this. One, do not be afraid. Two, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And three, always be ready. Now we come to, to verse 14. He says, do not be afraid. Now, you have every reason to be afraid, right? People are trying to kill you. You're encountering persecutions. You're suffering. But he says, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. 
But, now here's the reason why they can say, I am not afraid. This is the contrast to that statement. But, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What is he talking about there? When he says sanctify, he is pointing these people back to the law. When he's talking about the Lord God, he's pointing them back to the law. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 in just a moment. But when you see the phrase, the Lord, the Lord God, in Greek, that word is kyrios. Now, we consider that to be master or Lord. So we think about submission automatically, right? When you think about, oh, you know, I'm going to serve a master or a Lord, you think that someone who has authority over you. Now, that is true. But in the Greek, when, you, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, which was what the apostles used, anytime that word Yahweh, which we, we see as the uppercase L-O-R-D, we see that as uppercase Lord in the Old Testament, that was always translated as Kyrios. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 real quick. Because this is the linchpin of this passage. And this is what you graduates and all of us need to, to remember. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? If that Lord is uppercase in your Bible, in Greek that is translated Kyrios. Remember that. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heaven belongs to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all people as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. Now, in this particular passage in the New King James Version, it is translated as sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. But more literal translations actually render the phrase sanctify Christ as Lord. Graduates, those of you who are going away or staying here, whether you're going to college, whether you are going to go play baseball, whether you're going to get a trade, whatever you do, do this. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Now, why am I pointing out the, the kyrios? Because when he says sanctify Christ as Lord, he is saying sanctify Christ as Yahweh. The almighty God that you saw in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, when you see Moses going up on Sinai and seeing the Lord, when he meets with him in the tabernacle face to face as a friend, when the elders see the Lord and they live and they eat in his presence on Mount Sinai, when Isaiah gazes at the Lord in his temple and, and says, woe is me, I am being undone for I have seen the Lord. He has seen Christ, 
as John has told us. Everything from that then flows. If you sanctify, what does that mean? Honor. Honor Christ in your heart as the living God. And everything else in your life will flow from that. Hallowed Jesus the Messiah as Yahweh God. And then always be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready to testify of the hope that is in you. What is the hope? He tells you the hope at the very beginning of his epistle. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your hope is a living hope. It is not a dead hope. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. People have put their hope in dead things. They have put their hope in themselves. They have put their hope in political figures. They have put their hope in in magic. They have put their hope in the occult. People despair and they put their hope in in self-help programs or apps that they download to help them better themselves. But that is not the hope of a Christian. The hope of a Christian, especially in trials and persecution where your life is on the line, is that no matter if you live or die, your Savior is alive forevermore and will never die again. He has the keys to death and hell. He is your hope. And He is the one you need to honor in your heart. And from that, out of the abundance of that in your heart will flow from your mouth the testimony of his excellencies. And so you may be saying, well, Seth, I don't testify. I am afraid. Well, then there is some repenting that needs to be done. And trust me, I have been on my knees through these past few months repenting of the, the times that I've been in situations I have not testified when the Spirit has prompted me. Because there is a part of me that does still fear retribution of men. And that needs to die or else I will be unuseful. I will have no fruit for the kingdom of God. It's the same for all of us. We fear the reprisal of men. We fear that people are going to get angry at us. So what? So what? Some of you, when you were first told the truth of the gospel, probably got angry. You probably really didn't like the person who told you. There have been people in history who have killed prophets and missionaries who have espoused the truth of the gospel, who later came to Christ So this is the hope of the Christian. And I want to, I'll I'll end here. I want to encourage you to begin examining your life in light of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died, was buried, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven. And he is seated now at the right hand of the Father, where he will come from again to judge the living and the dead. He is not some ethereal, cloudy figure up there. 
When the incarnation happened, when we celebrate Christmas, when, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Lord, Jesus Christ, took on flesh for the rest of eternity. There is a man beside the living God on the throne, ruling and reigning right now. Flesh, blood flowing through his veins. We're not Gnostics. We don't believe that he is just some spirit figure who resurrected spiritually. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Lord who is ruling and reigning right now over the earth. Who is washing the church with the water of the word to present to him a bride unblemished. So examine your life in light of that truth. In light of the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and the implications of that. Does that affect the way that you dress? Does that affect the way that you, you view yourself? You view others? Does that affect the media that you take in? Does that affect how you love your wife, love your husband, love your children, love your neighbor? Does that affect how you worship? Will you desire truth more than emotion? Emotion is not bad. But when emotion becomes the compass for your worship, then truth falls by the wayside. Now, I don't know you as well as Pastor Lee knows you. And I, he doesn't even know you as well as the Holy Spirit knows you. So ask the Holy Spirit to search you and find any anxious way in you so that you can take that thought captive in the name of Christ and submit it to him and kill it so that you can live a righteous life. Even if that means people will spit at you, hate you, cancel you, whatever. Well, let me pray for y'all. Father God, so much can be said and much has already been said. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you would take, take this time that we have spent in your word together. Lord, if there is anyone here who is struggling, something immediately has come to mind, Lord, I pray that you would, you would, Comfort them by your Holy Spirit, but compel them to repentance and that you would keep the lies of the devil far from them. But that you would build them up as the new man that they are in Christ so that they can walk in your ways and do your good works and not be hindered. Lord, bless these people. Father, I pray that, that they would be made more and more into the image of Christ and that, they, that all fear of man would be put to death in all of us so that we could walk boldly, so we could proclaim without hindrance the truth of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Battle and the Bride. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. For more information, visit thebattleandthebride.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at thebattleinthebride at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless.